You know, 99.9% of the time, I'm very happy that I'm Baptist. But every now and then, I really wish I were Pentecostal. You know, (laughs) that was fun. That was fun. It is the last Sunday before Christmas. Boy, I can feel the excitement in the air. If you have kids, I know they probably won't sleep the next two nights. That's just the deal. Some of our members are traveling to be with family. And if you're listening online, I know a couple of you texted me this morning. We love y'all. We wish you were with us. Uh, but uh, enjoy your family. Some of you are in with family. And we're really glad uh, that, that you're here with us. Uh, how many of you have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day traditions that your family does every year? Same thing. How many of you have those? I, I, pro- probably a lot of you here do. Uh, maybe it's making candy. Maybe for you it's reading the Christmas story right before you open gifts. Maybe it's, you have, it's not Christmas or Christmas Eve unless you eat a certain meal. You know, maybe uh, it, it's opening gifts early or one gift early. Or maybe your family goes to a matinee movie on Christmas Eve. Or, or maybe you do last-minute shopping. For, for us, Christmas is always a whirlwind. You know, at church, we have Christmas Eve service. By the way, we invite you. We are going to have a great service tomorrow night. Uh, It'll be about a 35 to 40-minute service. We invite you to come. Uh, But we're going to be here tomorrow night. And our family has always done that. That means that we've had to go to our parents' house and see our our siblings and nieces and nephews on Christmas Day. And so that's always been a, a, a hectic day. And because of this, the last 10 years or so, one of the traditions in our family is opening gifts early. And that's been no problem for any of my three girls, my two daughters or my wife. They, uh, for, so for the last several years, we have opened gifts somewhere between December 23rd and Labor Day, depending on uh, when that hit them. Uh, another tradition that I think starting to develop is guessing what gift is, what a gift is before you open it. You know, that's kind of becoming, you know, shake the package, try to tell what it is, spend some time, and I, I think that's going to become a, a gift. But I want to acknowledge my wife's superpower. She can guess any gift, no matter what package, where it is, all the time, and she has done this without exception every year for as long as as we've been married. She is talented at this. Another that's kind of developing in our family for the last five or six years is at some point in the holidays, whoever's home, we'll sit down together and we'll watch Elf. Now, I'm not a big Will Ferrell fan. I don't think he's an incredible actor, but how can you not like Elf? You know, I mean, you learn about the four basic food groups, you know, candy, cotton candy, candy corn, and syrup. And I mean, syrup and spaghetti is just funny. It is. And, you know, I love that movie because it's just fun. There's no cerebral value to it, but it's, it's just fun. I think that we sometimes don't acknowledge that it is okay just to have joy around the holidays. It is just okay for us to acknowledge that, that, that Christmas is, is, is a fun time, a joy-filled time. For the last two weeks, we've been doing a Christmas series entitled Tidings of Comfort and of, of Joy. We're, we're taking this sermon series from the lyrics of a Christmas carol that uh, you're familiar with probably, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, and at the end of it, it talks about they bring tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, and, and, and you know that line. Well, the word tidings is not something we use a lot. Uh, it is uh, a prominent Old English word. 
which we've kind of brought into our language, uh, and we only use it around Christmas time. And, and it, it means news or special announcement, and typically these pronouncements were made uh, in the Bible times by angels. We get this from Luke 2, verse 10, where it says, We bring you great uh, glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Now, in, in the Christmas story... There are four encounters with angels. Okay, there are, are, are four encounters uh, with angels in the Christmas story. You've got the story of Gabriel talking to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel talking to Mary in Luke chapter 1. An unnamed angel speaks to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. And then in Luke chapter 2, you have the multitude of heavenly hosts show up and, and praise the, the birth of, of the Lord. In all of these experiences, the angels brought messages of comfort and, and joy. Um, last week, we read how the angel brought a message of comfort to Joseph. If you think about it, Joseph got some tough news when Mary said, You're never going to believe what's happened. I'm pregnant, and it's God's baby. You can imagine Joseph's shock and his doubt. But the angel appears to him in Matthew chapter 1 and says, Don't be afraid to take her as your wife because that which is, is inside of her, that baby that's growing in her, is of the Holy Spirit. And so, so Joseph's comforted by the angel's words. Here in, in Luke chapter 1, when we see the angel coming to Mary, we see that he brings a message of joy. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. He was sent to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is where Mary's story begins in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it, it begins with a visit from the angel Gabriel. Now, angelic visits were pretty common in Scripture. This is not something uh, that unusual. It's not frequent, but they are very present in all of the Old Testament. In Genesis, you find angels appearing. Uh, to, in the times of the prophets, the angels appeared. We see that in Daniel. In the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, they came and ministered to him. They spoke to Mary and to Joseph. And even throughout the early church, whenever Peter was imprisoned, it was an angel that came and, and uh, unlocked the door in Acts chapter... That chapter. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's not that unusual when we read about the angel visiting Mary. What is unusual is that the angel is named. In all of Scripture, there are only five named angels. Uh, and Gabriel is one of five. Uh, three of those angels were fallen angels. Two of the names given to those angels are synonymous to uh, Satan for us. Beelzebub, who is seen as the prince of the demons. Uh, we, we see uh, Lucifer, the angel of light, that which was fallen from God. Uh, and then in Revelation, there is a fallen angel that's named, which is in Hebrew named Abaddon or Abaddon or Apollyon in Greek. Uh, and so uh, he's a leader of evil forces that battle good forces in Revelation. And that leaves us with only two faithful angels that were named. One of the faithful angels is Michael. And he is always seen leading the armies of God into battle. Uh, you see him in Jude. Uh, 
you see him also in the uh, Revel- Revelations uh, uh, prophecy. But the other angel named is the one we see here in Luke chapter 1, and that is Gabriel. And, and Gabriel is always described as a messenger angel. He's the angel who comes to visit Mary. What's strange to me is we don't know much about Mary. In fact, we, we, we know really very little. We, there's maybe six facts that Luke tells us about Mary. She, she, had a, a, she was the daughter of Eli. She has a sister named Salome or Salome. You figure out how you want to say that. She was related to a lady by the name of Elizabeth. And she was a poor, young, devout woman. That's all we know about Mary, really. Besides the fact that that God had chosen her for his plan. And it's to this young, devout peasant woman that the angel appears and he says, Rejoice! Have joy, highly favored one, favored woman, The Lord is with you. And that's the good news of Christmas, isn't it? That God's with us. That that he is here. When the birth of Jesus occurred, humanity experienced God in the flesh. And Mary obviously is going to have the pleasure of being the first one to experience God in flesh. This is the basic message of Christianity, that God came down to us. This week I had the great privilege of speaking in Awana. It's one of my favorite things I get to do during the year. I teach adults on Wednesday night uh, here in the sanctuary for anybody who would like to come. But a couple of times a year they allow me to go downstairs and teach the message and, and someone will fill in for me up here. And I went downstairs and this year at Christmas time I thought I would take a ladder with me. And I was trying to teach people that, that no matter what we do, we can't get to God. Our good works, our coming to church, our giving, no matter what we do, we can't earn uh, enough credit to where we are elevated to, to God's position. And so the message of Christmas is, is that God came down to us. And so I climbed the ladder and I said, no matter how many ladders I have, I can't get to God. And I asked him, so what is the Christmas message? And one of them said, God can climb a ladder. (laughs) The Christmas message is that God came down to earth, that he came to us. Sinful man can never reach a holy God, so a holy God came down to reach a sinful man. And so if for no other reason Mary should have rejoiced, it was because God was with her. He, he was there. Uh, notice the phrase, favored woman. You might have heard me quote this differently when I read the scripture a minute ago. Most of us learned this, that she was not just favored woman, she was highly favored. The, the, the highly favored one of God. It's that phrase that has caused Protestants and Catholics a lot of disagreement. We interpret this phrase very, very differently. No one, Protestant or Catholic, doubts that Mary was highly favored. Of all the people on earth, God chose her, so she was favored, and and she was given the privilege of carrying Jesus in her womb, and, and this is truly an honor, and she was allowed the privilege of raising him through his childhood, and both groups, Protestants and Catholics, both agree on this. 
However, Catholics believe in a doctrine called immaculate conception, which means that Mary was without original sin. When she was born, she was born differently. And she was without original sin and without any sin. And they believe that Scripture is teaching this when it states highly favored. Uh, And they maintain the reason that she was highly favored was because she had impeccable character. Protestants believe that Mary was devout and Mary was obedient. But I believe that Mary was still a frail human being with a sinful nature. And we believe that Mary being favored by God doesn't describe the behavior she displayed. Rather, the fact that God was blessing her by allowing her to be a part of his plan. But Mary doesn't feel very blessed. When when, when the angel speaks to her, she gives the typical reaction to an angelic visit. And in verse 29, she is deeply troubled by the statement and she wonders what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. God is blessing you. And the angel tells her of God's plan. Verse 31, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call his name Jesus. Sound familiar? If you were here last week, the other angel appears to Joseph. He says, Joseph, it's all right. The child growing in Mary really is of the Holy Spirit. And the angel tells Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Just a side note. And this has nothing to do with this story. But if God is calling you to do something and you're married, I'm convinced that God will work in both partners' hearts. I'm just convinced of that. Sometimes people come to me and they talk to me about what's going on and how they feel God is moving in their life. And and if they're equally yoked people who both have the Spirit of God in them, I'm convinced that if, if God tells one of you to do something, He'll tell the other. It might take them a little longer to get on board, but they'll hear clearly from the Lord. Mary and Joseph both hear that they should call His name Jesus. Verse 32, and He is... He is going to be great. Mary hears that his child will be great. Now, she was a Jewish mother, and she would have thought that anyway. But the angel told her that this child truly will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. She had heard what God was going to do, and now she understands why. You see, under Roman rule, the throne of David had gone unoccupied. But it wasn't just going to be a king on the throne that that God brings through Mary. It's going to be the Messiah. And he tells Mary it's going to be the Messiah because they believed in a prophecy that one would come who would sit on the throne of David and he would would establish his his permanent reign. He, He would reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and his kingdom would have no end. Mary, here's the plan. But there's one small detail that doesn't settle with her. She asks the question, I I, I hear what you're saying, but how can this be since I've not been intimate with man? Uh, Mary, you know, basically is saying, you know, I'm I'm young, but I kind of understand this is not how it normally works. And so the angel responds, And since the Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he tells her about Elizabeth. Consider your relative. Your Bible might say cousin. The Greek word there is a little more vague. Could be close cousin like we think about. Could just be distant relative. Some sort of cousin. But your, your, your relative Elizabeth, she has conceived a son in her old age. And, and, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. She is old and with child. So one argument, Mary, this can happen because if it can happen to Elizabeth, it can happen to you. But then the closing argument by the angel is verse 37 when he says, look, we're talking about God, Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. And so verse 38 says that Mary responds and says, I'm the Lord's slave. Here I am, Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Mary believes God and she submits her life to be used by him. The next few passages, we're not going to show each one of them on the screen, or verses, show Mary going to see Elizabeth. And by this time, they're both with child. Mary with Jesus, and Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, who, who must have been a little Pentecostal, because when John the Baptist encounters Jesus in Mary's womb, the Bible says that he leaps for joy. And so he was excited. Uh, and uh, uh, Elizabeth speaks of Mary in verse 45, And she says, she who has believed is blessed because of what is spoken to her by the Lord, and it will be fulfilled. She she has believed that, that what is spoken to her by the Lord, it will come to pass. Of course, Mary's thrilled with with, with the news, and Mary proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. I understand why Mary is thrilled with the first Christmas. Mary knows the deal. You know, we believe the story. Mary's faith became sight. She knew the reality. And she was overjoyed, which anybody would be. But why do we enjoy this message so much? What is it about Christmas that brings us joy? And I want to share with you just four things pretty quickly today. Number one, Christmas brings me joy because God's faithfulness is on display. For over a thousand years, a Messiah had been promised, and now a Messiah has come. And God was faithful to all the prophets who he said, I'm going to send someone. And he was faithful to all the promises that were written in Scripture. And finally, the promised one came. Have you ever noticed when waiting is over, joy almost always follows? Have you ever noticed that? Kids wait for weeks for Christmas Day. You know, they're frustrated, waiting. The days seem to take weeks, and then it finally arrives, and they open presents, and the frustration is cast aside, and smiles fill the room. Families with soldiers who are gone, who are deployed. I mean, it's arduous times, waiting on their loved one to come back. But when he finally gets home, when she finally gets home, and they see them in the airport... They run to meet each other. It's kind of the same feeling some of y'all have after a long sermon. 
you wait and you wait. And then when, it, when it's over, it brings, it brings joy. You know, some of us have witnessed many of those end-of-waiting moments. I've witnessed several of them. An answer to a prayer that I've prayed for a long time. The provision of God. How He's worked in ways just like He said He would when I've been obedient to His Word. And He has worked just as He said He would work. Uh, you, You don't have to tell me how faithful God is. For some people, they've not seen very many tangible things. Life's been a struggle. They've had hardship after hardship. They think they're a relative of Job, and they're still waiting. All of us are are waiting for the promise that there really is life after death or the return of Christ, whichever comes first. And we rejoice at Christmas time because we are reminded that God, who had spoken through prophets hundreds of years before Jesus, was faithful to His promise. And he was, if He was faithful to that promise, He'll be faithful to all of His promises. And so we take joy. A second reason that I enjoy the Christmas message is because it reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. The miraculous is still possible. If you're here today and you doubt the miraculous, you're in good company. Remember Mary, I'm young Lord, I'm not sure if it works like this. John the Baptist Go ask Jesus if he's really the one. Thomas, I can't believe unless I see. Sometimes I feel guilty because I often look for the rational reason behind something. Because I'm a pastor, everyone brings the spiritual slant to me when they tell me about something that's happened in their life. And I appreciate that and I love that, but sometimes I have to confess that when somebody brings the spiritual slant to me, I start thinking, well, that happened because of... It's kind of human nature, isn't it? To, to go there. And, and by the way, I want to tell you, don't, don't, don't dismiss that as complete skepticism because God has ordered a very uh, 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 organized universe. And it works most of the time, in very typical ways. But the danger of thinking because... The danger comes in when we think because it normally works that way, God never does the miraculous. There was a Newsweek article uh, a few weeks ago that says that secular Christianity is on the rise. And it's not much about people attending churches where secular Christianity is preached or not. It's a Christianity that says that the Bible is not authoritative, authoritative, but then there was a phrase in there that caught my attention. It said that, that those who call themselves secular Christians believe that there's no such thing as a miracle. I know this is appealing to many people in our modern mind, But the miraculous is essential for the Christian faith. I believe all the miracles of the Bible are true, but there are three that are absolutely essential to be a heaven-bound Christian. If you do not believe these things, you are not going to heaven. You have to believe that there's a God who created this world, and you are not it. That He has 
was the prime mover, who is the origin of all, and therefore his rules are just, and he has the right to determine how this universe operates. And it is a miracle that God created something out of nothing. I believe that you also have to believe in the incarnation, that God came down to earth and dwelt among us, that Jesus is God in flesh appearing so that he could be a sinless man who would live a a, a perfect life so that he could be a pure substitute on behalf of your life when he died on the cross for your sins. And then I believe that you have to believe in a resurrection. That he is the one who can overcome the grave. That on the third day he rose again. I was doing a funeral this week. uh, And I was preaching about heaven. And I was preaching about how we'll get a new body in the resurrection and how death is not the end. And as I was driving home, I talked to them about how we have spiritual bodies and physical bodies. And our spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord. But when we die, our physical body is placed in the ground. And the Bible says that one day there's going to be a resurrection even of the physical body. It'll be changed different than what we understand, but it will be changed. And I remember thinking as I I was driving home, if I weren't a believer, I would have thought I was crazy. That's what I thought. But I am a believer. I believe that God did make this world. And I believe that God did come down in flesh when, when Jesus was born. And I believe that the one who died on the cross rose again bodily and proved that he is the one who can do the miraculous. And so, Christmas reminds us That if God can bring a baby to a virgin, he can bring the dead back to life. And so that brings me joy. Lesson number three. Through God's choice of Mary, we learn who God likes to use. He looks with favor upon the lowly. One of the reasons the angel's words to Mary bring me joy is the fact that God looks with favor upon people whom the world has forgotten. It's not the powerful, not the rich, not the famous, not the most most talented who are entrusted with the Savior. It's a poor peasant girl, a nobody on the Palestinian landscape. He has looked with favor upon her lowly condition And has chosen her. One of my favorite stories of 2018. Is a story about Lily Chitwood. My my friend Paul. Who was the executive director in the state of Kentucky. Is now the international mission board uh, president. The one who helps us to administer our Lottie Moon Christmas offering faithfully. Paul is a godly man. He was a great pastor. He was a really good leader in our state. But maybe Paul's greatest accomplishments are um, what happens in his household. Uh, They have been fostering children and adopting children for the last uh, few years. And their youngest foster child, Lily, was abused terribly. horrendous things and when they first got her it was obvious at night they would go to 
put her to bed, and she had been so malnourished that the only question that she had for her foster parents was, are we going to have food in the morning? This went on every night, and they couldn't convince her that it was going to be okay. Finally, Michelle, Paul's wife, decided to put a bowl of Cheerios by the bed, and somehow that convinced her little three-year-old mind, if I'm going to have Cheerios through the night, I'll probably have something in the morning. One of my favorite pictures of the year is this picture. This is Lily. She's seven, and now she's no longer a foster child. Lily is an adopted child, and um, there's going to be a day. I love this picture because joy on mom, joy on dad, and joy on Lily's face. There's going to be a day when, when she realizes that there was a little girl without a family and without love who was chosen when she realizes that one who didn't bring initial value was adopted. Now, she brings incredible value now. Paul will say, this is one of my greatest blessings in my life. But she's going to realize he didn't have to do this. They didn't have to do this. She's going to realize how blessed she was. And this is where Mary's at. I was in this lowly state, uh, but God has blessed me. And surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Because this is not simply the way that God works with Mary. It's the way that God works with all of us. Because of God choosing Mary, we can all rejoice. Verse 52, that he has exalted the lowly. She continues and said, he satisfied the hungry with good things. The good news for all of us, even if you don't think you're usable by God and you're not worthy of favor, then you're, you're there. Because... Verse 51, it says, He scattered the proud because the thoughts of their hearts. He sent the rich away empty, but it's the lowly, it's those who are without that He has chosen to bless. I was walking through the sanctuary. I guess it was Thursday night. might have been Friday. It was Friday night. It was completely dark. I was the only person in the building at that time. And I decided not to turn out on the lights. And I was just walking through here, and I was struggling a little bit trying to figure out how to communicate exactly what I was wanting to say. And I just found my way in here. And, and I, I would like to say I got down and said a flowery prayer and God turned the light on and it was easy. But all I heard was, I'm so unworthy to do this, God. That's all I could say. I'm so unworthy to do this, God. Why did you choose me? I'm not eloquent. Why did you choose me, God? I'm not the most intelligent. Why did you choose me, God? I'm not worthy for sure to be called your servant in such an hour as this. And, and, and I, then all of a sudden it dawned on me. Because God chooses the lowly things of this world so that he can get glory and so that his strength will show the good news was not simply for Mary, and it was not simply for Israel. It was for all people at all times who will put their faith in God. And Mary recognizes this, and she says, His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. So why do I love Christmas? For generations, people have found hope in Jesus. And they have heard the Christmas message that all people can have access to the Father. When the time 
came for Jesus to be born, there were shepherds in a field watching over their flocks by night. And suddenly an angel appeared to them and said, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news, great good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Today, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born for you in the city of David. It's almost time for us to go today, but I'm going to tell you something you might not know. Sandifer is not a Jewish name. Write that down. And Nick Sandifer is definitely not a part of the nation of Israel. In fact, Nick Sandifer was not a part of a religious family at all. But somebody brought the message to Nick Sandifer and now to his family that Jesus Christ was good news for all people. Good news for all people. And I thank God that somebody told me that good news. That Jesus didn't just die on the cross for sins. He died on the cross for my sin. And he rose from the dead, a true miracle. And I believed that story. And I still believe that story. And now through Jesus, I've truly found comfort and joy. Let's pray.